And this Sunday, we celebrate our mothers. It's Mother's Day, and when you think about it, it's difficult to look at motherhood through God's eyes in the Bible without looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus. Is there any other woman in history whose role is better defined as that of a mother than Mary? Jesus could have come to the earth as a full-grown man. God didn't need anyone else's help to pull this off, especially he didn't need the womb of a peasant woman, and yet God chose this path. This momentous decision speaks loudly and clearly to the importance that God places upon motherhood. Moms are vitally important in this world, not only in bringing life into the world, sustaining life and nurturing life, but also in developing well-adjusted human beings and disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ, we see the very experience of being born and cared for his entire life by his mother, Mary. Now, I've been told by those who have visited and vacationed in Italy that a person can find a church dedicated to Mary, Jesus' mother, in virtually every town. Not to mention numerous statues and icons as well. And Mary is revered for many reasons. And at the very forefront was her labor in the stable in Bethlehem for the birth of Jesus. Now during the Middle Ages, artists and church leaders celebrated Mary as the mother uh, of the Savior. Theotokos in Latin, the mother of God. And some even went as far as to crown her queen of heaven. Unfortunately, the veneration of Mary to godlike status to be worshipped, has caused many Protestants to completely set her aside, other than at Christmas time or during the Advent season. And how often do we ever hear sermons in which Mary is portrayed favorably or at all? In our passion for a Christ-centered faith, have we, while rejecting these incorrect doctrines, sacrificed the good of the real Mary? When we look to the Bible, we find a woman that's somewhere between the queen of heaven and a simple peasant girl. For the record, you should know that Mary is the fourth most mentioned person in the New Testament after Jesus himself, Peter, and Paul. Mary is number four on that list. And she, more than any other disciple of Jesus, consistently pointed people to her son. Even when she was proved to be wrong on a matter, she was still pointing people to Jesus. Mary, the mother of Jesus, truly lived up to her moniker, the Lord's servant. So let me ask you, do you live up to that moniker? Would others say of you as a person, as a Christian, as a father or a mother, as a grandparent or an employee or as a neighbor, that's the Lord's servant? Now, I'm going to say something right now that might ruffle a few feathers here on Mother's Day. Motherhood is an ordinary thing. Too often in our defense of motherhood, in our mixed-up world that's trying to destroy all kinds of traditional family values and responsibilities, we, in response to this, try and portray motherhood as this awesome and amazing, remarkable, incredible thing in the world. And it is true. That a mother sharing a placenta with her child that passes not only nourishment to the child, but much needed oxygen, also sends cells back and forth that can actually heal both parties, and particularly the mother as she goes through the process of childbirth. This is truly amazing. And it's also amazing the, imprint that, the imprinting that can take place through nursing a newborn child and an infant. Yet being a mom also means a lot of sleepless nights. 
middle-of-the-night feedings, colicky children, the constant diaper changes, bathing and all the messes that children make, and teaching the basic ADL skills of life, you know, activities of daily living like eating and potty training. And two of our daughters right now are potty training their youngest children that they have. And one of, in one of those situations, one of the young children decided on their own to take care of their number two business unbeknownst to mom. And so went into the bathroom and did what, you know, thought they could do on their own. And of course, can you imagine the mess that transpired? There's our daughter on her hands and knees cleaning the bathroom and sterilizing the bathroom so others can use it. Where is the glamour in all of that? See, if a parent loses sight of the end goal in all of this, of what we are raising, then it's easy to become discouraged. It's easy to become overwhelmed. If we do not see ourselves in, 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 day in and day out in the, in the grind of parenting as the Lord's servants, we will lose sight of the mission that God has given to us. And by the way, what parent or what mother hasn't had to do extra laundry and additional baths because Junior just couldn't resist jumping in that mud puddle? Okay, Just one simple thing. Don't jump in there and it'll be a lot less work for me. But that's the way it is. Motherhood is not an extraordinary thing. It is very ordinary. Jesus was born to a very ordinary young woman named Mary who lived a very ordinary, practical, some would even say a mundane life. When her marriage to Joseph was arranged by her father, she spent the next year in her cultural context getting ready for marriage. What did that mean? That mean, meant learning to cook even more. That meant sewing clothes and washcloths and towels and making cups and bowls from clay and, and utensils for eating and, and, and bowls so that they could have lights, candles in their home. Joseph, meanwhile, spent his time building a home and, and along with the furniture that they would need to occupy their home. All very ordinary things in that culture. Then came the extraordinary events of Jesus' birth with multiple angelic visits, angelic choruses, shepherds and magi and wise men. It all begins with this unbelievable uh, conception of Mary's relative uh, Elizabeth to give birth to a, young, a, a, a child named John. We pick up the account in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 through 17. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife was Elizabeth, who was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. You will, are to call him John. He will bring, be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to drink wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. 
And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This is miraculous. This angelic visit. This is extraordinary. And then it's followed by the miraculous announcement of Mary's conception and her coming virginal birth. Verse 26 of chapter 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Do not be afraid. How can Mary be anything but afraid? A celestial being has appeared before her. And she happens to live in a village of 300 or so people where everybody knows everyone else's business. In addition, people in her world who were not yet wed but got pregnant outside of wedlock could be stoned for her being pregnant. And Think of the shame and the reproach that she would bear and her family would bear even if she is allowed to live. In fact, during Jesus' lifetime, he was called by some the son of Mary. That's a vulgar term in that culture. We have two terms for people uh, born out of wedlock in our culture too and they're very nasty, vulgar terms that I can't even repeat as a minister. That's what the son of Mary was in that culture. And also... Would Joseph, the righteous man, even marry her now that she found out she's pregnant? Do not fear. She could have all kinds of fears. And historically, out-of-wedlock pregnancies have always been a sentence to uh, poverty, sometimes even to lifelong poverty, especially when it involves very young girls or young women that are pregnant out of wedlock. Well, what about contemporary moms? Do they have any fears when it comes to child rearing? Well, the biggest one is just laying your child down and trusting that they're going to wake up after you've laid them down for a nap or an all night, you know, for sleeping for the night. Because SIDS is very real. Sudden infant death syndrome. And I have officiated in my nearly 40-year career in ministry at five funerals of young infants who have died unexpectedly. This is a real, very real fear. Then there are food allergies where you have to have an EpiPen with you or, or, or allergies to other things where, where they can lose their ability to, to breathe. There's fears of drowning or choking on a toy or choking on an uncut piece of food. There's accidental asphyxiation from, from window blinds and curtain drawstrings and getting their heads caught in a, in a, in a crib. There are concerns about falling downstairs or climbing up on something they shouldn't and taking a tumble or jumping to a certain injury or maybe even to death because they don't realize the danger they are in. There are fears of your child walking out in front of traffic or a car backing over them uh, unexpectedly. Then there's pulling things on top of themselves where they can get hurt or injured. Uh, we had a nephew push out a screen in an upstairs window. Uh, he climbed up on the dresser and pushed that out and tumbled out a second-story window. There's all kinds of things like that. And, of course, there's the fears of them being snatched. 
when you're out in public somewhere or, or in the Northwoods where we live, them wandering out into the wild and getting lost or falling prey to predators. Next, as they age, knowing that their right and left brain aren't completely fused yet together, not completely developed as they should be, there are concerns regarding the friends that they will hang out with, what they're taking in. On the internet, there's concerns when they start driving, driving recreational vehicles, driving cars, operating machinery, becoming uh, boy or girl crazy. And then there's the big issues like drugs or alcohol and sexual immorality and unethical behavior. As children grow in age, many parents have fears that just follow along with those children. Cindy and I just experienced this last winter in a very big way with our oldest daughter, who's 38 years of age, who fell off the grid. She was unreachable for nearly two weeks, and she ended up homeless out in the elements in North Minneapolis, you know, spending nights in homeless shelters. And partially, she froze her feet. She had her cell phone, her wallet, her identification, her money all stolen, and we had no idea where she was. We were beside ourselves. And with the help of a very understanding police officer, we figured out she was a missing person in Hennepin County. And, and that only added to our fears because the city of Minneapolis was short 300 police officers short at the time. And the very night we reported her as missing, they had three homicides that they were dealing with. So they gave us a case number. She was missing person number 158 in Minneapolis. We didn't think we were going to get any help at all. And Cindy was laying on the floor sobbing and wailing, inconsolable. Oh yes, you never stop being a mother. And people have some very legitimate concerns when it comes, and fears when it comes to parenting. Well, in our text, Mary doesn't turn toward her fears. She identifies them, but then she turns to God. In verse 28, it tells us here that you're highly favored. God is with you. And see, in life's most trying moments, especially in child rearing and in motherhood, it is vitally important to remember this truth, as Mary did, that God is with us. God is with you. And that's the very thing Jesus told us in the Great Commission, where he committed us and commanded us to go and make disciples. Remember in Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, where he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me? Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I will be with you always, even until the very end of the age. See, the greatest place to make disciples is in a Christian home. To make learners and followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's at home. That's the best place to do that. And what did our Lord say to us, his final concluding remarks in this great mandate to go out and make disciples? Yes, we need to make them in the church. We need to make them out there in the world. But we need to do that in the home. And the commandment there is followed up with, Behold, I am with you always, even until the very end of the age. We need to cling to this truth. And the problem with fear is it's always afraid of the future. What is going to happen to us? What will happen to our loved ones? Are there going to be diseases? Is there going to be death? Are there going to be losses of income? Is there going to be some kind of suffering or hardships? Are there going to be other losses? Will we experience rejection? And yes, verse 28 here was addressed to Mary. The angel went, said to, her, went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. It's addressed to her. 
but put your name in there. The, you know, Daryl, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Put your name in there. You're highly favored. You know Christ. The Lord is with you. Well, verses 31 through 38 continue. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked. The angel said, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Remember in Genesis 1, where it says that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters? You know, the Spirit of God was intimately involved in creating the world. Well, that's what it's doing. The Holy Spirit is hovering over Mary. Same exact statement here. So the Holy One will be born, who will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. See, Mary fulfilled her God-given duty to her son, Jesus. She was the only human being, as the Bible portrays, to be with Jesus throughout his entire life. When he was 12 years of age and didn't rejoin the caravan back to Nazareth from one of the festivals in Jerusalem, Joseph and Mary frantically searched for their son for days. And they found him at the temple, listening to the rabbis and, and asking profound questions. Of course, they're upset like any parent would be. You know, to have to go through all that effort and energy and even the extra money that it took to, to pull that off. And yet Mary, it says, also treasured what Jesus said to her in his response in her heart. This is the same Mary who loved Jesus when he said to the crowds in her presence and in the presence of all of his younger siblings that those who do the will of God, these are the ones who are my true family. Can you imagine if you're sitting in the crowd and you hear that? My true family are the people who do the will of God. That had to sting a little bit. But she sat there. She loved him. Mary loved Jesus as well from the very beginning when the prophetic word concerning him at his dedication predicted that a sword would pierce her heart. Do you want to see any parent really hurt? Watch their children suffer or get injured, especially at the hands of someone else. It crushes parents to see their children misunderstood, to see them falsely accused or mistreated or rejected by others. For Cindy and I, this is one of our real concerns. For two of our children who are in ministry right now and for a potential third one who may be entering ministry in the future, to know that people will say false things about them, that people will mistreat them, that they be understood and even experience rejection as part and parcel of the modern territory now called ministry. With the onset of social media, these jabs can be easily delivered for the whole world to see. And those in ministry are bigger targets than ever right now because of the internet. As parents, Cindy and I would like to protect our children from that. And ultimately our grandchildren who could be injured as well from all of that. But we can't. But we know that God will see them through. And think about this for a moment. For Jesus to fulfill his mission on earth, it meant that he had to be crucified and be buried in a borrowed tomb. And Jesus' mother had to observe 
all of that. In other words, she had to suffer for Jesus to fulfill his mission. In John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27, we get a glimpse of that. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister Mary, his wife, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, which is John, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This passage alone shows us just how overwhelming all of this was. Mary, whom God used to announce the birth of the Messiah, was also there at the cross and the resurrection. And God used her to announce to the whole world, including the apostles, that Jesus had risen from the dead. Not to mention, she was there when Jesus ascended into heaven. And when the church was about to launch at Pentecost in Jerusalem, she was there. Look at Acts chapter 1 with me, beginning in verse 12 through verse 15. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew. Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas son of James. They were all together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Mary's words from a mother yet to be in Luke chapter 1 ring out through the centuries instructionally, and as a model for us to follow. I am the Lord's servant. Do you ever say that? Can you say that right now? I hope, and I pray so. I am the Lord's servant. Let's pray. God, our Father, today all of us uh, want to thank you for our mothers, because we're here today, we're alive, we're in this world, we're living the lives we've lived because you gave us a mother to uh, give birth to us, to nurture us, to raise us, to teach us the activities of daily living, all those essential life skills. And God, some of us may not even have the best moms that, that there are out there, but we all had a mother. And God, we thank you that... Uh, you gave us our mothers and that we're here today because of each one of them. And Lord, as we recognize our moms and all the other mothers here, and uh, we recognize, God, how important moms are. And God, you prove that to us in the gifting to the church of Mary and using her to birth our Savior and Lord Jesus. And God, what a model to say that I am the Lord's servant. Do with me whatever you will. Fulfill your word in me, God. And I pray that we can follow that very same example to be people that are serving you wherever you have called us to be, that we can truly be the Lord's servant. And recognizing how important and and primary the Christian home is in all of that. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.